Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Pathways Perspectives, the podcast. I'm Clara, and I'm your host for this episode. If you've followed us so far, you know that at Pathways Perspectives, we are interested in learning about the nuances of social protection. Each episode is an expert-on-expert conversation, which provides a discussion between practitioners on a variety of topics, such as narratives on poverty and social contracts. In this episode, you will hear from our experts Bjorn Gelders, head of the social and economic analysis team at Development Pathways, Ali Mukhtar, policy analyst for the Ministry of Finance in Indonesia, and Charlotte Li Piang from UNICEF Indonesia's social policy team. This discussion focuses on a recent policy brief on the impact of COVID-19 on child poverty and mobility in Indonesia. This policy brief, which you can access on our website, explores how the economic fallout from COVID-19 affects child poverty and the success of social protection measures aimed at mitigating the impact. It was developed by the Fiscal Policy Agency, which is part of the Ministry of Finance, and UNICEF Indonesia with support from Development Pathways. This podcast further explores the background story of the analysis provided in the policy brief. The experts recount on why the government of Indonesia decided to look at emergency social protection as an instrument to mitigate the effects and how the emergency response unfolded. So sit back, relax, grab your tea and enjoy this episode. So to get us started, we're, we're keen to learn a little bit more about what happened in Indonesia when the COVID-19 pandemic started. So at the beginning of 2021, Pekali, could, could you give us a quick overview of, of how the effects were first felt in Indonesia on the economy and, and other sectors of society? Okay, thank you, Dionis. So this pandemic has significant impact. So let's see before the COVID-19 pandemic, Indonesia achieved better social welfare indicators. The poverty rate declined significantly from 11.10% to 9.22% in period of 2015 to 2019. And also, if we take a look at the Gini ratio, that's also better, uh, going better before the pandemic, from 0.41 to 0.38 in the same period. And pandemic escalation have a significant impact on domestic demand. Household consumption has declined due to some restrictions that applied. Some types of consumption that are sensitive to mobility have been contracted uh, significantly. Meanwhile, investment has also decreased considerable, considerably in line with the business sector condition that is mostly in survival mode. Um, Indonesia has more than 80 million children, and although we knew that or early on that they would be largely spared from the direct health impact, we knew and we were very worried that other aspects of their lives uh, would be heavily impacted. For example, in the area of education across the country, schools closed their doors for face-to-face learning, and they have been very slow to reopen, with all of them set to open only in July this year. And findings from various surveys early on indicated severe learning disruptions. Although 90% of schools reported online learning, there were many challenges, including issues of actual learning time, poor connectivity, 
and lack of interaction with teachers. And in this regard, children with disabilities suffered even more. Another area of concern that we have was the disruption of nutrition and health services, because a lot of the resources of human capital and monetary resources were redirected to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic. So we found that more than a quarter of community health centers delivered less than half or no services and nutrition services. There were also disruptions in health services at village level where essential immunization and nutrition services are provided. And early estimates of the impact of COVID-19 in Indonesia on child and maternal mortality show that disruptions to health systems and reduced access to food could result in an extra 30,560 deaths of children under age five in just six months. Then the last area of major concern, of course, was the spike in child poverty. The pandemic caused economic shocks to families across the nation. In fact, three in four households reported a reduction of income. At the same time, one in three families saw their household expenses increase, um, for example, due to increased spending on groceries and internet packages. So these were some of the early on concerns that we had. Pakali, if, if you think back about um, sort of the first quarter of, of, of 2020, do you recall when and why the government um, decided to look at emergency social protection as, as a key policy instrument to help mitigate um, the effects of the pandemic? In Indonesian context, that's, if we take a look at the breakdown of the GDP, the most contribution contributors for the GDP is uh, household consumption. So about the 50% of the GDP is household consumptions. It means when shocks coming, last year is COVID-19 pandemic and still continuing today. So it means the first shock will become to the household consumption. It means uh, if household, they cannot get the income, they may get lost the job and then they have no income. So it means this will affect, will affect affect the consumption itself. So if there is no social protection from the government, so no expansion, just using the existing, it's not enough because COVID-19 pandemic impact is not only for the poor and vulnerable. So that's why government need to expand the social protections to help the household consumption. It means to help also the GDP growth because uh, GDP growth is contributed by the uh, consumption more than 50%. And the next focus for the government is not only provide them with the assistance, right? Social assistance, but need to create new job. That's why in 2021, some of the expenditures, some of the funding, we refocus to the creating job. So we have cash forwards and also still continue the infrastructure project to provide them with new jobs. So it means it also will help the household consumption. That's perspective, that's why government in Indonesia is uh, really thinking of uh, help the household uh, under the situation of COVID-19 pandemic. The government need to make counter-cyclical policy. So uh, we call it Program Pemulihan Ekonomi Nasional. It means national economic recovery. So government in the March, uh, we already prepared that uh, programs under the new regulation that published by presidents. So using that regulation, we can add the expenditures for uh, counter-cyclical measures at around 42 
25% of GDP to funding the countercyclical measures. And also, uh, we focus on the household uh, sector. So we want to uh, maintain the household to several calculations did by World Bank, Smeru, and other the research institutions. They mentioned that the property rate at a time uh, would increase very high at more than 11%. But because government can deliver the social assistance and targeting to the poor and the vulnerables that affected by the COVID-19. So the poverty rate only 10.19% in 2020. Thank you. And if I can just add, every government, of course, faced a big dilemma. They need to control the spread of COVID-19. On the other hand, they need to protect its economy. Indonesia, the Indonesian government throughout this pandemic has shown a very strong commitment to protect its citizens from not only the health, but also the socioeconomic impact of the pandemic. Normally, usually, Indonesia's government can be considered quite fiscally conservative with limited spending on its social sector. But during this pandemic, it really made a commitment to invest heavily in social protection and expansion of social protection programs to protect all those people and families affected. And, and I think Indonesia is, is certainly not alone, right? In fact, most countries in the world announced some sort of social protection measures um, since the start of the pandemic. Usually this meant expanding existing social protection programs as, as a priority response to the pandemic, either by increasing levels of coverage, relaxing um, eligibility criteria, or increasing the transfer values of, 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 of the programs. So uh, overall, according to the latest data, about 6% of the global stimulus packages went towards social protection interventions. And the world, in fact, invested more in social protection during the pandemic than it did during the last major economic crisis, the so-called Great Recession from 2008 to 2009. So in comparative terms, the world is spending about a quarter more on social protection today than what it invested during the recession back then. But I think it's it's important to highlight that Indonesia's response has 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 been impressive and exemplary in in the Asia Pacific region. The government effectively more than doubled its annual spending for social protection. It has increased the the coverage of existing programs by about five million families, and also lifted the transfer values. And then, in addition to that, it also introduced three new programs to reach around um, 22 million households that were not previously covered by, by any of the existing programs. So obviously a massive effort and a lot of logistical challenges as well, I, I can imagine. Bakali, what were some of, the, some of the key challenges as the government got underway to really roll out these, these new programs? For information that's before the COVID-19 pandemic, that social assistance is at around maybe half of 2020. So maybe in Indonesian rupees, this around uh, 110 trillion rupees. So it means we doubled expenditures for the social protection for about 220 trillions in 2020. So the existing program before the COVID-19 pandemic is uh, uh, PKH. PKH is a conditional cash transfer. We provide cash assistance to the family with some condition. And also we have cash transfer for food assistance. We call it Kartu Sembako. 
So we give a family with 150,000 rupees every month per family. So when COVID pandemic was escalating in March, so we increased the benefit of PKH and also Kartu Sumbako. The PKH, at least they get more 25% benefit from the previous one. And also for Kartu Sumbako, they uh, get more 50,000 rupees per month per family. And also not only for the benefit, we also expand the beneficiaries. For Kartu Sumbako, before the COVID, we just give for 15.6 million families. So uh, under the COVID-19 pandemic, we expand to 20 million uh, families as beneficiaries. Also, there is not enough for two social assistants to mitigate the negative impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. At the time, we make another program, such as food assistance for Jaburitabek, Jakarta, Bogor, and the city around Jakarta. And also, we provide cash assistance to outside Jaburitabek. So in the Jaburitabek, we provide them with food. We deliver rice, oil, or other food that we provide for the family. And outside Jakarta, Jaburitabek, we give them with the cash transfers. And in the rural areas, in the fillets, we added new programs that we call it BLTDD. In Indonesian, uh, the term is Bantuan Nasuntuna. It means the cash transfer using the fillets funds. So we proportion from the fillets, fillets funds to transfer some benefit to family in the fillets. And then um, for keep the household continuing consumption, and then uh, because they uh, got less income. So we provide subsidy for the household with electricity discounts. So all the poor and vulnerable that they use the electric voltage is around 450 volt ampere and 900 volt ampere. So they not they didn't pay any bill every month. So covered by government. And also, uh, because the COVID-19 pandemic, as I mentioned to you, beyond that also affected the labor force. So most of them lost their job. And also, if we take a look at the new labor force from high school, uh, maybe from the university, they could not get any job at a time. So government provide new program. We call it Kartu Prakerja. It's in English, maybe the term is pre-employment card. We provide this program to 5.6 million uh, uh, people. So uh, they can access this program by, by buying the training, online training. Really helpful for them because when they cannot get a job, they can reskilling maybe get new skill and also entrepreneurship. And also then, then this program can cover the living cost for four months. So another, maybe the programs also provided by government is to mitigate this negative impact to the family is we expand again because the beneficiaries of the PKH in our Sukartu Sembako is not enough when they get every month with addition of benefit. And government give one, one more addition for them, such as for the PKH, we provide them with 15 kilograms of rice. And also for the beneficiaries of Kartu Sumbako, we provide them with one times uh, cash transfer at around 500,000 Indonesian rupees. 
So this is really helpful for them actually. And also if we compare the amount of the social assistance with the total of the economic recovery program that provided by government. So last year we delivered around 600 trillion rupees. So from them, 220 trillion is for the social assistance, including for the expanding for uh, existing programs and also to deliver a new program in 2020. That's beyond the story of the 2020 in Indonesia. Great, thank you. So at the time, the pandemic was, was unfolding quite rapidly, um, but there wasn't yet a lot of events and data on, on the effects of the pandemic on um, households, families, and children. Yet at the same time, the government of Indonesia was rapidly scaling up its social protection system to try to respond um, to, the, to the crisis. So against that background, Charlotte, what, what were some of the main considerations for um, UNICEF to initiate this study? Well, as mentioned by both of you um, from early onwards, um, we saw that as part of its emergency response, the government made substantial investments in expansion of its social protection program. However, it was also clear that the pandemic was affecting families from all income groups, not just the poor, and that a complete picture was missing. Um, there was no accurate up-to-date data on child poverty. This is, of course, collected only once a year through the National Social Economic Household Survey, SUSANAS. At the same time, the Ministry of Finance was updating its GDP projections frequently. And this provided an opportunity that the SDG dynamic micro simulation model developed to project SDG progress for children up to 2030 in Indonesia. This model could now be updated and adapted to calculate the impact of the pandemic on child poverty and vulnerability, as well as project the impact of the government social protection program expansion. So our study explores how the economic shocks resulting from COVID-19 affects child poverty and to what extent the government's social protection measures mitigated those impacts. So ethically, to measure the impact of the shocks, we built some three scenarios. Firstly, we came up with this line scenario that um, describes the situation in Indonesia if COVID-19 hadn't happened. So to do so, we uh, used projections of growth and employment prior to the outbreak um, the, of the pandemic. So secondly, um, we then built a scenario that factors in the economic fallout of, of COVID-19 um, by explicitly modeling in declines in um, domestic production and also taking into account the changes in employment um, that have taken place in, in, in the country. So in the main sectors of the economy, agriculture, industry and services. And then our third scenario takes into account both the effects of the pandemic, but also the um, increased investment in social protection from um, the government of, of Indonesia. So using this approach, we were able to analyze the effects of COVID-19 on a range of indicators such as um, child poverty, social mobility. And we were also able to see quite clearly how successful the government's response had, had been in mitigating those negative effects. So there's sort of three, three headline messages that, that stand out. So the first one is that the economic shocks caused by COVID-19 pandemic affect people of all ages, but children and, and adolescents do appear to be disproportionately impacted by reduced levels of, of household income 
and reduced levels of social mobility. Secondly, we're seeing that the government's emergency response was very successful in mitigating the pandemic's impact on, on child poverty in 2019, effectively bringing child poverty down to its pre-pandemic projected level. So that's, that's no small feat. That's, that's really a major accomplishment. It, it means that in 2020, thanks to the government's rapid scale-up of its social protection system, child poverty has, by and large, been kept uh, constant. And then thirdly, it, there's also a cautionary warning coming, coming out of the study, and that's that child poverty will increase very significantly in, uh, in 2021 if the emergency support measures are, are rolled back prematurely. So our estimates indicate that without continued investment in social protection, we would see an increase of about 2.1 million additional children falling be below the, uh, the national poverty line. So a key recommendation coming out of the study is that the government should consider to maintain its investment in the, in the social protection measure in 2021 and beyond as well to help deal with the lasting negative effects of the global crisis. What do you think are the longer term results or, or, or reforms in the social protection system that will come out of, out of this crisis? So for example, for the last decade or so, Indonesia has invested quite heavily in building a social registry that it uses to target the different social protection programs. So this is effectively a database that tries to have information on, on the bottom 40% of the population, so the poorest 40% of the population. But I think the crisis has revealed a few weaknesses of, of relying heavily on, on, on such a social registry for targeting. So firstly, the data for the social registry is collected very infrequently, only once, once every couple of years. So it became clear during, you know, during the government's response to, to the pandemic that some of the data was, was outdated and it wasn't an accurate reflection anymore of, of households' welfare status. And then secondly, because of the pandemic, a lot of households, a lot of workers that initially appeared to be better off were, were affected quite heavily by job losses, by income losses, changes in, in, in livelihoods. And as a result, they, they tumbled down the, uh, the national income distribution, but they weren't recorded in, in the social registry yet. So what do you think is the future of, of the social registry in Indonesia and, and how will it change in response to, to some of the challenges that, that have been highlighted over the last year or so? Yeah, Bjorn, that's quite important to have the reliable data. So every, every programs that we create will be effective if we use the reliable data. So it means unified database that we mentioned before that covers bottom 40%. The data uh, is uh, created in 2015, actually. And until now, only 5% update, updating of progress. So it means when we have expansion of the program, social assistance programs, that will be challenging that, right, for that. Because uh, uh, we, if we check one by one, even we know the address of the list of the data. So sometimes we we find that there is uh, the individual is not in there again, or maybe they are already passed away, right? Because only 5% update of the data from 2015. So this is becomes issue in early 2021 so when the Ministry of Social Affairs want to deliver the social protections. So with 
and with the new minister in the social affairs ministry, they right now is verificate the list of the data one by one. That's why it takes time. And that becomes challenging because we need to deliver the social assistance at the fast way because we need to help household. But because data is not reliable, so it means that the verification need times to uh, updating the data. And also from the BAPANAS, BAPANAS is uh, the planning agency. They're thinking of the social register that you mentioned before. So for the first uh, stage, they want to expand to 60% of populations. And this is, I think, not one year program. We need more than one year to complete this project actually. And in the Ministry of Finance, we also need to use the reliable data also. If we consider that the registry, the social registry, good one as one database that we have. So we, we, we can connect between the um, data and social registry in pending side and also from the revenue side. So if we use the data for the tax, this is also quite good. And use the data for the social assistance, uh, this is also quite good. And then we connect together who pay tax, who receive the transfer from the government. So it means uh, if we if we want one unified data, it means uh, in the Indonesian term we call it with satu data, you know, uh, unified data. So we can use the data for all the policy of government, government, even for the uh, expenditure sites and also from the revenue side. And the impact actually uh, we expect also will be better compared to the previous one, also for the uh, effectiveness and also for reducing the poverty rate. I think that's that's quite challenging in the future, Bjorn. But that's that's a major change, isn't it? Because up until now, Indonesia has always focused on the bottom 40%. But you're saying that as a result of the experience with the global pandemic, the country has now decided to increase its focus to the bottom 60%. Is, is that right? Yeah, uh, Bjorn, because we learned from the last year, because some program is uh, complementary to the existing program. Uh, mm -hmm. I mentioned to you that existing program is PKH and Kartu Sembako, right? So we have the complementary program, such as food assistance, uh, village funds, cash transfers, and also Kartu Prakerja. So if, if, you, if you want to get one of the programs, such as Kartu Prakerja, it means uh, they not get any other programs besides Kartu Prakerja itself. So this is complementarity. So if we gather all the data from Kartupra Kerja, from the cash transfer in village funds, and also from the cash food assistance, and combine with the PKH and Kartu Sembako, it means the data will be meaningful, right? If we can gather together and uni united the data, and it means the data will be will cover above the forty percent beyond. If I can just add. So it is really great to see that the mandate for social protection reform comes from the highest level, from President Yokoi. And in fact, um, UNICEF is working with BAPANAS on, and supporting them on the development of a roadmap for a 100% registration system by 2024 that will allow vulnerable children and families to be identified more easily and quickly during emergencies. So that is for 2024. Great. Some exciting stuff happening uh, over there. 
So, so, so where to next for, for the social protection sector in, in, in Indonesia? Pakali, could you talk a little bit about government's plans for the sector in, in 2021 and beyond? Indonesia doesn't have adaptive social protection at, at this time, right? So it means when we want to mitigate the impact of the crisis, even for the health sector's crisis and also the economic crisis, so we need to think a lot how to produce new program, how to deliver the programs. It means we don't have that such kind of the adaptive social protection under the regulations. It means in the future, we need to think about the reform of the social protections and the adaptive social protection is one of the part of the social uh, protection reform in Indonesia. So it means uh, whenever the uh, crisis happen and also disaster happen, it means government ready to deliver the program to help the people. What kind of the innovative uh, financings if we have expansion of the social protections? Thinking about the future, what are some of the main um, priorities in, in, in trying to help the government make sure that um, the social protection system is, is sensitive to the needs of, of children? Yeah, I think I, an, a really important learning from this study that it is that it shows that more children and adolescents have fallen into poverty than any other age group as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, the study also shows that the government's emergency social protection response has provided a vital safety net for children during the pandemic. The study showed that social pro protection programs that have a child focus, so for example, the PKH and the Cartus Mbaku programs, that they were most effective in mitigating the impact of the pandemic on child poverty. In fact, they prevented preventing 1.3 million children from falling into poverty in 2020. The study also suggests that rolling back these emergency measures would lead to a rise in child poverty, bringing an estimated 2.1 million children under the poverty line in 2021. There is a real need for a longer term vision for social protection in line with the President uh, Yokoi's mandate for social protection reform. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Pathways Perspectives. Let us know what you think. Share your comments with us on social media about COVID-19 and its impact on social protection agendas. And watch this space and website for more of our work. You can find blogs, webinars, and future podcast episodes at developmentpathways.co.uk. Till next time.